Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and go to Hosea, the book of Hosea chapter 4. Face, focus our attention on just one verse this morning, Hosea chapter 4 and verse number 6. The Bible reads, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. And thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. Self-harm, self-destruction, suicide are clearly condemned by God. We learned yesterday that we are made in the image of God. We are made after his likeness. He formed us out of the dust of the ground. We were given a living soul. Because God is eternal, he has given us eternal life in either a place called heaven or hell. So God puts a high value on life. Life is a gift from God. It is sacred. God gives us life. No one can take our life but God. The Lord is the one who controls our time on earth, a time to be born, a time to die. We all have a birthday. We all have a death day. Is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Are not his days as the days of an hireling? The eye that has seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. Thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. At some point, God will call our name, he'll call our number, and our life will end at his appointed time. We don't die because we get old. We don't die because we get sick. We don't die because we meet an unfortunate accident. We die because it's appointed unto men once to die. So life is very important to God. Tragic would be a word that we would describe when someone harms themselves, when someone attempts to take their life or is successful in doing so. Last week as I was preaching in South Dakota, Pastor and I made a visit on a lady whose husband had just a few days earlier taken his life. A businessman, had his own business, successful. I could tell as we drove up to the property where his business was, there, were, there was a lot of work waiting for him. A lot of things backed up, we could say. We went to his house there behind the Business, very nice home, beautiful home. Knocked on the door, there was no answer. We noticed a truck down by another kind of outbuilding. We went down there, the door was open, and we went in, and one of the men who was an employee was there trying to put some things in order. We talked to him for a bit, asked if his wife was home or 
close by and he said, no, she's gone to see some family for the day. That whole visit just had a very tragic feel to it. The pastor, as we got in the car, he began to weep. He said, you know, I only had a couple of occasions to interact with this man. He was, he was the kind of person that either liked you or hated you. And he said you had to get to know him to kind of break through some of that. And he was kind of short with his words and wasn't always the kindest person in town. He didn't have that reputation. And he said I had a couple of interactions with him and had tried to kind of break down some barriers he said, I never got to give him the gospel. Tragic. Now his life gone because of a suicide. But I wonder this morning, do we see the tragedy in spiritual self-harm? Do we see the tragedy that could come into our lives by harming that abundant life that God has provided for us. You and I cannot lose our salvation. Thank God for that. No matter what we do, no matter where we go, no matter what we experience, if you're saved, you can't lose that. I give to them eternal life, Jesus said. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The Father that gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Jesus said in John 6 and verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Aren't you thankful for that promise? We're not always the best children. <laughs> We're not always the best kids when it comes to our heavenly Father. Sometimes we are prone to wander. We're prone to, to leave the God we love. We're, we're prone to go our own way as sheep. But thank God he doesn't forsake us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Our salvation is secure. Our salvation is eternal. God will never cast you out. He will never destroy your spiritual life. Yet sometimes I think we willingly destroy ourselves. We destroy that life that God has provided for us to live as a child of God. We harm that which God has planned for our life. And in this verse, we see a tragic process of spiritual destruction. My people are destroyed, he said. These were his people he's addressing here. These were the children of God. These were the people that he loved. These were the people that he cared for. And yet he said, my people are destroyed. Notice this tragic process. First of all, a priority is destroyed. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. When God speaks of knowledge, when God speaks of wisdom, we know that he's pointing back to this book, isn't he? I mean, there are a lot of things you can know. There are a lot of things you can learn. There are a lot of things that you can become academically aware of. But all wisdom, all knowledge comes back to the word of God. 
While all truth is not in the Bible, all of the Bible is true. And God has given us everything in this book for life and godliness. And so the first step in this self-destruction, as it were, is a, a priority being destroyed. That is, we no longer take seriously this book that we have in front of us. Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. You do err, Jesus said, not knowing the scriptures. How prominent, how prevalent is the word of God in your life today? I know you have one in your lap. I know you have uh, on your device the Word of God. I, I know that you're taking classes that talk about the Bible. I, I know that you're in a Bible college. I, I understand all that, but personally, how important is the Word of God to you? Jeremiah said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy words were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. You're going to go through some ups and downs in your life in this semester of college. You're going to have some, some emotional swings. You're going to have some good days and some bad days. But Jeremiah said, I don't find my joy. I don't find my encouragement in my mood. <laughs> I don't find my encouragement in my circumstances. My joy, my encouragement comes from the word of God. Job said, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. There's some pretty good food out there at the SLC from time to time. It may not always be to your exact liking. It might not be your favorite every day, but there's always Wingstop. There's always a place to get something to eat. There's always some place to go where we can get some nourishment, where we can get something that we enjoy. And yet Job said, I, 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 don't, I don't consider my physical food as important as my spiritual food. How's the priority in your life for the Word of God? A number of years ago, I was preaching a revival in northern Wisconsin in the middle of January. What possessed me to do that, I'm not sure. The pastor grew up there in that town, and he was one of the hardiest souls when it came to weather that I ever met. The temperature that week never got above zero for a high and went way down below zero during the night, just bitterly cold. But the pastor and a lot of people in the church, they worked in the woods, they, they, were, they were woodsmen, they, 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 they worked in this climate, and the pastor, he would, he would literally come to church in a short sleeve shirt. He'd say, let's, let's go make some calls, you know, let's go talk to some people. And he'd show up in a short sleeve shirt. I'm like, I've got like five layers on. I'm from Wisconsin, but, but uh, that place was bitter, bitter, bitter cold. One day he, he said, let's go make some calls. And we jumped in his car. His car had no heater. And I get in the car and I can see the road through the holes in the floorboard of his car. I can see the road. We're going down this country road with snow blowing and, and, the, and the wind howling and snow is, is coming in through those holes of the floorboard. I, my, my legs are covered in snow. He's got the window down. 
he's got the window cracked and he's just kind of whistling away like it's a summer afternoon we're going fishing. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> we're driving along and he said, uh, Brother Gatch, we're, we're, we're going to go see a man now named George Roush. I said, great, just hurry. <laughs> I was freezing. He said, let me tell you a little bit about him. He said, uh, he's a bachelor. He's uh, 84 years old and he lives out here in a log cabin all by himself and and uh, he, uh, he's a spiritist. He talks to the dead. <laughs> I thought, great. I'm out here freezing myself to death, and I'm going to go see a guy that talks to dead people. This is exciting. <laughs> well, we get to this log cabin, and <clears throat> we pull in and went to the back door. The pastor had been there numerous times before and built a relationship with this man. Knocked on the door, and he came down a little landing and met us and opened the door and said, come on in. We walked into that log cabin, and most log cabins are built similarly in that they have kind of a great room. They have a room on the first floor that's kind of the all-purpose room, I guess. The kitchen is kind of off that room, and, and there's maybe one room that's maybe a restroom or something. But, but it's basically one big room on the bottom, and then on the top you got some lofts where bedrooms and things like that. And that's exactly the way this thing was set up. And we walked up through that, that kitchen from that back entry. We walked through a kitchen area and into this great room. And the first thing I spotted was a huge fireplace. And it was, it was just, you know, really going. And I thought, praise the Lord. And so I went over and I chose a seat. There was a couch on this wall. And, and I chose a seat as close to that fireplace as I could get. And I, I shed my outer coat and I just kind of leaned forward. And I'm, I'm kind of warming my hands there by that fire. The pastor, he chose a, a chair right across from me, and the, and the, the gentleman, George, he, he picked a chair over here. So we were all in different pieces of furniture. And the pastor and, and Mr. Roush, they began to talk a little bit and just kind of carry some conversation, and I was just listening. After the fireplace, the next thing I noticed was that in this great room, all around the room, there were shelves, bookshelves, about three or four high, I don't remember exactly, but they, they covered every wall except where there was a window or a door, just bookshelves. And they were cluttered with books. I don't mean just, they, they were stacked right and then they were stacked wrong on top of the, you know, the vertical and then the horizontal on top of those. I mean, it was just packed with books. Mr. Roush, it didn't take him long to get on the subject of spiritism, the occult, talking to the dead. And every time he'd make a point about what he believed about it, he would stand up and he'd go get a book. And I don't know why, but he brought it over to me. Maybe he'd already shown the pastor these things in previous visits, but he'd bring it over to me and he'd say, here, read this. And he'd point to a place on the page in a paragraph that was highlighted or underlined. He'd say, here, read that. And so as they're talking, I'm reading this. And it's all about witchcraft and spiritism and, and stuff and so I'd read a little bit but I didn't want to read a lot of it and I'd read a little bit and I'd close it and I'd, I'd set it on the on the couch next to me well pretty soon he'd notice that I wasn't reading anymore and he'd go get another book he'd say here read this I'd read a little bit out of being kind you know and then I'd close it and set it on the chair he'd go get another book bring it over here read this I'd read that set it aside finally I had about 10 books stacked up there and I was becoming very uneasy in my spirit. You know, when you're around something like that, there's only two spirits in the world. There's the Holy Spirit and there's the evil spirit. 
And, and you can tell which one's working, right? And, and I was just getting really uncomfortable, and, and I'm thinking to myself, I have got to get out of here, or I've got to share something that's true. And so Mr. Roush was talking, and, and I said, Mr. Roush, I, I, I don't want to be unkind. I, I don't, I don't, we're, we're your guests here, and you've been very kind to let us come in. But I said, sir, could I take the Bible? And I reached in my pocket, and I pulled out my, my New Testament. I said, could I take the Bible and show you what the Bible says about Jesus Christ? When I said the, the word Bible, and the name Jesus Christ, that man began to shake. He just began to tremble. Remember, he's 84 years old. When I finished my question, he leaped out of that chair. I mean, literally leaped out of the chair. And he landed in front of me. And he made a, a snatch for my Bible. I fortunately was able to pull it back to me. And so he missed as he tried to grab my Bible. And he turned and he said, into the fire with your Bible. Into the fire with your Jesus Christ. Well, I stood up, put my coat on, headed for the door. I wanted no part of that blasphemy against God or the Bible. As we got to that landing to exit, I was shaking. I was just shaking. Not from the cold. I was shaking for fear of this man's life. And I turned, and it was only by the grace of God, with a calm voice, I, I looked at him and I said, Mr. Roush, unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ according to what the Bible says, one day God will say to you, into the fire with George Roush. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I've spoken, the same shall be his judge in the last day. There's no one in here that would say, into the fire with the Bible. Quit preaching the Bible. I don't believe the Bible. There's nobody in here like that. But what do we say to God about this book when we can go an entire day and never open it? What do we say to God when this book is being taught or preached, we're on our phone? What does it say about us if this book had a little device like your phone does and tracked the amount of time you spent in the Bible, how would it match up to the time you spent on Facebook or YouTube or some other social media site? What are we saying to God when this book has no priority? Are we any less guilty than an atheistic man, a spiritist, a person who believes in the devil rather than God? Are we any different, really? When we say, I don't really need this book, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. 
the first step to self-harm spiritually, the first step to self-destruction spiritually is when we no longer have a priority on the Word of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Young people, listen to me. You and I, we don't know our own heart. Our heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? But here's a book that's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That word has the idea of it's an uncoverer. It's a revealer. It's a bringer out to light of what's really in our heart. And that's why we've got to have a dose of it constantly in our life. It's not enough just to take a class in doctrine. It's not enough just to take a class in Old Testament or New Testament. We've got to have this book daily, just like we need food daily in our life. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that is written therein, and then thou shalt make the way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. If it's a choice between studying for a class and studying this book, you better get in this book. Now, maybe you need to go to one of the deans or maybe you need to come to Dr. R or myself and you need to get some help with your schedule. You need to get some help with figuring out how to, how to time out your day and get enough time for everything you're going to have on your plate. But listen, when it comes down to what's important, what's priority, we've got to keep the Bible at the top. There is no revival. There is no declare the gospel. There is no change the world without this book. Preach the word. You and I cannot go out into this world and reach it for Jesus Christ without this book. And it's got to change us before it's going to change anybody else. God has in due times manifested his word through preaching. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. But he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. For what is the chaff of the wheat, saith the Lord? Is not my word like as a fire, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Listen, when we're too busy, when we're too tired, when we're too bored for God's word, the handwriting is on the wall. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. A priority destroyed. But the next stage is a prayer declined. He says in verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I'll also reject thee, and thou shalt be no priest to me. We value the priesthood of the believer. It is one of the foundational distinctives of who we claim to be. The fact that we believe from the Bible we don't have to pray through the Virgin Mary. We don't have to pray through a saint from the past. We don't have to pray through a human instrument such as a priest or a preacher or a rabbi. 
we have the privilege of going directly to the Lord with our prayers. Let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We believe there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so as Christians from the Bible, we understand that you and I have access to God at any time. We don't have to have an appointment to talk to God. We don't have to check to see if he's in his office. We won't get a a message when we try to address God. God is available to us all the time. We have access. We can go boldly before him. We can make our requests known to him. It's the priesthood of the believer. But he says here, when you reject my word, thou shalt be no priest to me. I will also reject thee. You see, our prayer life is predicated on our Bible life. How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof, I'll, I'll pour out my spirit unto you, I'll make, wor- make known my words unto you, because I've called, but you refused. I stretched out my arm, but no man regarded. But ye have said it not, all my counsel. You would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, when your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1. Do you understand? Young people, you're going to have a prayer request this semester. You may not have a big one right now like you need a liver transplant, but you're going to have one. You're going to have something. You need God. It might just be the strength to get out of bed. It might be those dollars for that school bill. It may be that job interview. It it, it may be a crisis back home. It, It may be a health situation. I don't know what it'll be. I don't wish anything bad upon anybody. I don't look for bad things in my life just because I love bad. But we will all at some point this semester, need to come into that throne room of grace and be able to talk to God and be able to make our requests known. We will have a need. And what are you going to do when you stand before God in that throne room of his grace and you say, Lord, I haven't read my Bible in weeks. I haven't been listening in chapel. I I've really kind of sloughed off in my classes, but Lord, you better read Proverbs 1. The calamity's coming. The the desolation is coming as a whirlwind. The the problems are going to come, and you're going to need to get a hold of God. And God says when you reject knowledge, when that priority of the Bible is destroyed in your life, then prayer is, is declined. 
And then probably the worst part of this verse is the last. Prosperity is deleted. He says in the latter part, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. I don't know how to illustrate that any better than with America. This country was founded on the principles of God's word. The words in God we trust were on the main sail of the Mayflowers that came across the Atlantic to this country. We coined those words literally on our currency. In God we trust. We put it in our Pledge of Allegiance, One Nation Under God. This nation was founded on God. There was a time where prayer and Bible reading were commonplace in the public forum. I did not go to kindergarten school at the time I went, got to be age four or five, did not have kindergarten. I grew up in Watertown, Wisconsin. Watertown, Wisconsin is the home of America's first kindergarten, 1848. I'm older than you think. You can go to that building where they held the first kindergarten at the Octagon House in Watertown, Wisconsin. Go visit sometime. You see the classroom. First kindergarten in America. But when I went to school, they didn't have it. So I went to first grade. I went to second grade, third grade, fourth grade in public school. And as I sat in those classrooms, I'd come in in the morning, sit down at my desk, and up in the corner of the classroom, there was a, there was a loudspeaker. There was a speaker. And when the bell would ring, the principal's voice would come over that speaker. And he'd say, good morning, boys and girls. Hope you're all at your seats, because I want to read you a verse out of the Bible. He'd read a Bible verse. Then he'd say, now, I want everybody to fold your hands on your desk, bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to pray that God will give us a good day. Public school, every morning. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. Fifth grade, speaker was still in the corner, but it was only used for announcements because prayer and Bible reading had been taken out of the public school. This nation was founded on God. When I was a child, my dad was the caretaker of a cemetery near our farm. He's buried there now. Most of my relatives are. River Road Cemetery, Exonia, Wisconsin. My dad and mom would go there every Saturday, and mow the grass, trim the hedges, water the flowers. <laughs> We'd go along and play in the cemetery. It's great. You know why they put fences around cemeteries, right? Because people are dying to get in. We got to go in every week. Didn't die. I played a lot of games in that cemetery during the day, never went at night. When I was 13, I, was, I said to my dad, Dad, uh, do you think they'd allow me to have your job? I was starting to realize the need for cash in my pocket. 
I was getting an allowance at that time of 25 cents a week. I was raising rabbits. I had 96 rabbits. I could raise them up to about three pounds and sell them for 16 cents a pound. That's how I was making my living <laughs> as a 13-year-old kid. And I realized one day I wasn't getting to my first million very fast. And I said, Dad, you think they would hire me at the cemetery to do what you do? Well, he said, let me check. He went to the cemetery board and he presented it and they said, okay, we'll hire him. So now I got to go to the cemetery. I got to mow the grass every week, three acres, mow the grass. Didn't have a riding lawnmower. Didn't have a self-propelled lawnmower. Didn't have a lawnmower with a motor. You mowed the grass by pushing the mower and the faster you pushed it, the faster the blades went around and cut the grass. Three acres. Takes a while. $10 for mowing the grass. Big money. When you're making 16 cents a rabbit, that's the big money. And if someone died, I got to dig the grave. $10 for digging the grave. 10 bucks. That was a hard-earned $10 especially in the wintertime when the ground was frozen three feet deep. You had to, with a pick and an ax, get through the frost to get, get the grave dug. And you have to do it fast. They want to bury the guy. You know? <laughs> but I learned something in that cemetery about America. American cemeteries, the graves are all east to west. Now, this has changed in recent years because we're no longer a Christian nation. And a lot of people are being cremated and so on. But in the American cemetery, all graves are east to west. They're not north to south. They're east to west. And so the grave is dug east to west as far as length to width. And there's a certain size, a certain depth that you have to dig it. And when the, when the, when the coffin is lowered into the vault, the head of the person who's in that coffin is always at the west end of the grave in an American cemetery. You can't turn the casket around and put his head at the east. He has to be at the west. Anybody know why? Because of the resurrection. The eastern gate the eastern sky, when the Lord comes back, he's going to bring those who are dead up out of those graves. And America decided when he comes back, we want those people coming out of those graves facing the Lord Jesus Christ as he comes. Amen. That's America. We're a Christian nation in our founding. But I think you and I understand this morning that where God's hand once rested on this country we call the United States, it's not there anymore. God has gradually removed his hands of blessing from America. And this verse tells us why. He says, when you forget the word of God in your life, you no longer have the nourishment you need for your life. You no longer have an opportunity to come into my throne room of grace. But worst of all, I'm going to forget your children. I'm going to delete your posterity. 
And America is being destroyed today. Absolutely annihilated from within. Well, what are we going to do about it? This is it. Reverse the process. All I'm saying to you today in this chapel is when, when are you this semester going to be in this book? If you don't have that figured out yet, figure it out today. When am I going to be in this book? And if your schedule changes because of a work or some other responsibility, then make sure that you will rearrange your priorities so that you can still be in this book. Because nothing is more important than the Word of God. It's where it all starts. And when you lay this aside, when we turn a deaf ear to the preaching or the teaching of God's Word, when we aren't interested or we're too tired to, to get into this book ourselves every day, we're just saying, God, I'm not going to need any prayers answered, and I don't care what happens to my kids or what happens to my country. It, it, it can all just disintegrate as far as I'm concerned. You and I can start revival today by what we do with this book. It's the key.